Hey there, welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where you'll hear advice from experienced safety leaders on how to protect your people and business. I'm Peter Steinfeld. Today, I'm speaking with the managing partner of Strategic Cyber Partners, Heather Engel. With an extensive background in risk management, cyber planning, and security program development, I thought she'd be the perfect person to help us understand ransomware response and how organizations can avoid the risks of a ransomware attack. Let's dive in. Hello, Heather. Thanks so much for being here today. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, can you start by quickly explaining ransomware, perhaps in your own words, and how it can impact organizations? Yeah, of course. So in simplest terms, ransomware is a type of malicious software. It has the ability to encrypt files, and it typically asks for some form of payment in exchange for a decryption key. Now, what we've seen with the evolution of ransomware over the last several years is that now ransomware does much, much more than just encrypt files. It starts now, it's now we're starting to see things like data exfiltration. We see credential stealing. We're often seeing individual extortion. Ransomware is being used for spear phishing of partners and suppliers. And very often now we're seeing an exfiltration of data happen first. And then the ransomware threat may be twofold. So one would be the inability to access your data. And two, if you don't pay the ransomware, any data that's been stolen as part of the attack there's very often a threat to release that data on the black market. So there's some reputational damage there as well. And are the targets literally just individuals? Are they going after corporations and entire data sets? Or is it all the above? It's a little bit of both. You know, we see corporations have ransomware issues all the time, obviously, different organizations. But what we see now is if you are the individual that's part of that organization that's been targeted with ransomware, very often any passwords or any information that has been compromised that's your personal information might also be used in a separate personal attack in addition to whatever is going on at the corporate level. And then, of course, we all see those spam emails that come through. Spam filters tend to be good, but you know, every once in a while, we'll notice there's an influx of messages that, messages that look like spam. And very often what's happening is just that's the next iteration. And those messages can also present ransomware. So you know, we always want to be careful with what we click and what we're opening, whether it's a personal system or whether it's a corporate system. That's interesting. It's almost like a, a bit of a blitzkrieg. It's not, it's a multi-layered approach that they take, not just a, a one-time hit. It really is. And, and what can happen very often is an organization might be hit by ransomware and they're on the road to recovery and they may get hit again. We see that happen fairly often. And as I said, you know, with all of these different multiple payloads, It's almost uncommon now for it just to be straight encryption. It's very much more likely that you're going to see multiple avenues of issues that you're going to have to deal with if your organization or if you personally are hit with ransomware. So let's say an incident happens. What should an organization do? How do you go about minimizing the damage and what should a response plan look like? Yeah, this is a great question. And and I will say up front, the very first thing is that you want to accomplish a lot of these steps and you want to do preparation before an attack happens. Because if you haven't done anything and you've been hit by ransomware, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to do it in an efficient and cost-effective way. You may not be able to recover your data. So keeping that in mind, obviously the first thing that we want to do or the first rule to minimize damage is you need to create an incident response plan. You need to know who's going to be responsible for cleaning up 
You need to have a good understanding within your organization of what resources are available to do this. Who, who is going to consider the payment? Who's going to provide legal guidance? You know, we want to look at our general communication strategy, both internal and external. Defining the roles and responsibilities of people within the organization during an attack is, is very important as well. I would also say basic business continuity planning will go a long way in helping you recover from a ransomware attack. And it doesn't even need to be ransomware specific. We want to identify what systems in the organization are critical systems, what is our critical data, and make sure that we have a plan for some resiliency or to put some resiliency behind those pieces of information and those systems. You know, I ask companies very often when we're working together, do you have a priority restoration list? You know, and if you're going to recover an entire information system, which servers are going to come up first? And what are the dependencies that those servers have? Because if you bring up a database server and it's missing a key component that's on another server, there has to be a, there's a certain order that needs to be brought up in. And so really those two things are the biggest things that you can do prior to getting hit with an attack. So it's going to be business continuity planning, just understanding that general level of resiliency and what your critical systems are, and having done some planning for actually handling an incident like this. Now that said, you know, we can agree that not all organizations will have done those two things and you may find yourself the victim of a ransomware attack without having done either of those. And so in that case, what do you do? The very first thing is you're going to try to contain the incident. And so for many clients, what that means is complete disconnection from the internet. And particularly, that's what we call the go nuclear option here. Or in some cases, that may be the only strategy if you haven't done any sort of pre-planning or preparation. So could recovery from a ransomware attack be as simple as just having a great backup? It really could. And having that backup is key to recovering from a ransomware incident. And again, that goes back to making sure that you know what data is critical. What can you afford to lose in terms of data and productivity? You know, if you lose an hour's worth of data... Is that going to be very detrimental to your business? Or can you afford to have, you know, maybe a 24-hour lag? And really, it just depends on the type of business that you're in. And and that goes back to a little bit of that strategic planning. But absolutely, having a solid backup that you can work from to restore can go a long way in bringing your organization back online safely and efficiently. Now, ransomware attacks are not black and white. There are lots of different shades of gray. So with that in mind, are there any circumstances in which leaders should just keep quiet and pay the ransom? This is always a question when you're considering your ransomware strategy. And so one of the things that I would like to point out for those who think, well, you know, worst case scenario, we'll just pay the ransom. Paying the ransom actually may not be an option. It depends on the country of origin. It depends on whether there are sanctions on ransomware attack groups. In the United States, we have the Office of Foreign Asset Control. And under that authority, U.S. persons are generally prohibited from engaging in transactions with individuals or entities that are on that blocked persons list. So there may be situations where you have ransomware from a particular, if it's traced back to a particular country of origin, where you are not going to be able to pay the ransom. So that's something to keep in mind. We look at cultural considerations within the organization. What is your reputational risk if you were to go and pay the ransom? And so there may be circumstances, and we've seen several of them over the last several years, where companies pay the ransom simply because they can't function without their data. And again, 
when you pay the ransom, when you make that decision, there's no guarantee that you're going to get an encryption key. There's no guarantee that the key is going to actually work to recover your data. But again, it always is an option. And many organizations do leave that on the table as something that they would consider. Again, that's one that's really great to have a discussion prior to having to deal with ransomware, maybe when you're doing your annual strategy session, or if you're doing an incident response exercise, have that conversation with your executive team as far as understanding what's the tolerance and what's the appetite for actually paying a ransom if we found ourselves in that situation. Now, one thing you mentioned before is the nuclear option, which is completely taking yourself offline. So how does communication come into play during a ransomware incident response? There's probably a lot of internal and external messaging that has to be considered and delivered quite quickly. And if you're offline, how do you do that? Yeah, there is. And this this is one of those things that we tell our clients when you're planning for a ransomware incident, or for a ransomware response, you can't assume that your normal communications channels are going to be available. You can't assume that you're going to be able to email all of your employees and tell them what's going on. You can't assume that you're going to be able to send an email to any regulatory body that you might need to communicate with because your systems may be compromised. They might be unavailable. And that really goes for any type of incident response planning, not just ransomware. So obviously, when we start looking at communication strategies, we're going to look at internal notifications, We're going to look at developing draft communications to our external stakeholders. That would be our vendors, our supply chain, our partners, our customers. Good communication really is a key, key part of how successful you're going to be in managing the event overall. Good communication at the outset that's comprehensive and consistent and clear can go a long way towards limiting the damage in terms of reputational risk versus something that seems like it's not being managed well, or you're getting different messages from different people on the executive team. You know, there should be a unified message talking to external partners, whether it's media or customers, and then internally communications, you've got to decide what you're going to tell your employees, what the impact is. And so identifying what services and communications channels are safe to use Notifying your incident response team members of those primary communications channels is really key. And again, if at all possible, we want to see some sort of communications plan developed prior to when you actually need it. And we have this in a lot of organizations for things like Active Shooter. You know, we we saw this during the pandemic when we developed communications plans for how we were going to communicate to employees about health measures and protective measures and things like that. And, And ransomware is really no different. What are some of the biggest mistakes you've seen organizations make when it comes to communication when they're subject to a ransomware attack? Yeah, I think it's really just not communicating at all and trying to keep it under wraps. And there are strategies where we decide that we're going to communicate early and often, and maybe we don't know everything and we say that up front. And then another strategy would be to keep it as quiet as possible. And then when we do come out and talk about it, we provide as much information as we have but incident response investigations and ransomware in particular can be tricky. You know, your team, your entire team is really going to be engaged in bringing systems back online and trying to make this work. And so, again, I think an inconsistent message is going to be one of the biggest mistakes that you can make. Having employees who are out talking to the media or publishing things on social media about their systems being down, that would be something that would be a big issue. So, you know, that internal strategy of telling employees what to say and what not to say, very often we see just refer all communications back to the media team. 
really, I would say the biggest hurdle or the biggest thing that, that causes an incident like this to spiral out of control is not having that cohesive plan and not having a single person who's in charge of it. Who's your designated spokesperson? And the other thing that I would say too is making sure that any sort of communications runs through some sort of legal filter. You want to get your legal team involved because there may be circumstances where we have information that we can't share. Law enforcement may be involved. And so that's always going to be key. We want to share the right amount of information, but in some cases, we don't want to share too much up front because of an ongoing investigation or things like that that could potentially be compromised. So it sounds like communication is absolutely pivotal to the recovery process, but how else can organizations recover from a ransomware incident? Yeah, there are standard incident response procedures that typically are going to apply here with ransomware, but then there are also specific things that you can do or that are a little bit more targeted towards ransomware in particular. So obviously, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to contain and we're going to assess. So we need to stop whatever's happening. And ideally, the sooner you find out what's happening or the sooner you identify that there's an attack in progress, you can start to contain those specific systems. You can segment them away from the rest of the infrastructure. Containment and damage assessment is really, really important. So stopping the attack in progress, if files are in the process of being encrypted, we want to try to stop that as quickly as, we, as possible. And then conducting a damage assessment We don't really know how to start to recover until we understand what's been compromised. We can block inbound and outbound IP addresses if we see traffic that's moving either to blocked sites or suspicious sites. We can go in and terminate processes. We can quarantine files, take systems offline. In some cases, we may be locking out user accounts. You know, I mentioned earlier that very often with ransomware, it's such a multi layered attack. Um, that if I'm really going to execute a ransomware attack really well and I've infiltrated a system, long before I would detonate the ransomware, I'm going to make sure that I have the ability to get back into that system. I'm going to create some user accounts that allow me access and that's continued and ongoing. You know, So as a systems administrator, I'd be looking for accounts that I don't recognize or accounts that were newly created and then potentially locking those out We always want to, as part of the containment process and and part of the damage assessment, isolate the malware wherever possible so that we can do some investigation on it. If law enforcement gets involved, they'll also want to do some investigation on it. And then finally, checking for rogue email rules. So a lot of the time, what we'll see is, again, if I've infiltrated an organization and I've set up some user accounts, I may also be setting up emails, rules, you know, to redirect mail or to put some sort of automated response on there when an email comes in to a specific person. I didn't talk a whole lot about how ransomware attacks happen, but one of the primary avenues is going to be social engineering. So a user gets an email, they respond to that email, that gives me access as an attacker to the system. Well, then as I'm sending emails, I'm going to try to use that to let's say, infiltrate someone in that company's supply chain, I don't necessarily want the user that I've compromised getting emails that they would think are weird and then reporting them. So looking for and identifying rogue email rules would be another way that we can start to contain the damage and and really understand what's happening in our system. The other thing that we're looking at as part of our damage assessment is the feasibility of recovery using our backups. You asked a great question before, can we just restore from backup? And in an ideal situation, yes, we could. You know, we would still most likely need to bring systems offline. 
so that we could wipe out the malware and then rebuild. But at least having the data to rebuild from will help us a lot when we're assessing the level of damage and the potential impact to our operations. So what part does insurance play in the whole recovery process? Yeah. So cyber liability insurance it has, is interesting. It's changed a lot over the last several years. What we're seeing now is standard clauses can vary wildly between different underwriters. And so whenever I'm working with a client who is either pursuing cyber liability insurance or they have a policy that's coming up for renewal or even if they've never had it and we get several quotes, we almost always have to go back and ask for more details on the coverage. There are typically lots of exclusions or you know, we call them gotchas. And so those are things to look for and, and watch out for. Many policies change every year. I had probably five or six clients in the last three months who their policies came up for renewal and they had some pretty significant changes to what they were going to have coverage for. Every policy is going to vary. So you're going to have to look and see not only what the policy is offering and what it covers, but what you might might need or not need. Things to watch out for, beware of exclusions for things like employee errors. We're starting to see that if there's a social engineering clause in the cyber liability policy, and that's how the ransomware got into your system, it may not be covered. That said, a cyber liability policy is a great tool for risk management. For us to say, we have this gap and we feel like Should we have a major breach or a major ransomware incident, this is what we would be able to cover and we need to insure ourselves against the risk of what we'd be able to cover and what it might potentially cost us. What's the most common exclusion that might take people by surprise if they've suffered a ransomware attack and say, what? I I could have sworn we would be covered for that. I can't believe we're not. Yeah. In some cases, we're starting to see work from home scenarios be excluded. And so that has been a really interesting one. So many companies now have people working from home much, much more prevalent than we were doing five years ago. And so that that is absolutely one to watch out for. That would be something that, you know, might surprise people that then they would be excluded from coverage. So how could organizations balance the need for security and protection against ransomware with the need for employees to have access to the systems and data they need to do their jobs? Yeah, this is a great question. And this doesn't just apply for ransomware, right? This is something that we see everywhere. Security is always seen as one of those things that we don't want it to be a hindrance to employees being able to do their jobs. You have to spend some time, again, and this has been a theme of our talk today, you have to do some pre-planning so that you can understand what employees need access to and why and how they're going to access it and how they're going to use it. But really understanding what employees are doing what they need to be doing and educating the employees is one of the the best things that you can do to start to balance this need for security um, versus access. Yeah, and it seems like segregation of duties and then access to the files that people need to do those things is so huge because you can stop an attacker basically in their tracks if you've segmented off access to different areas of the network. You really can. And if I'm a user in a system and my account gets compromised and I don't have access to very much, That's a much different scenario than a user who would be a systems administrator or even an executive having their credentials compromised or having their access compromised. I'm going to have access to very different types of information and therefore the damage impact is going to be much greater if a systems administrator's account is compromised. So what are some of the top ransomware prevention and risk management strategies that you would suggest to folks? Well, number one is always going to be user training. We've talked about that already. Social engineering, as I mentioned, is a leading cause of data breaches. 
incident response planning and business continuity planning ahead of time. Those are going to be the the biggest ransomware prevention strategies. And then we can get into some more technical discussions about other things. One of the others that's going to be very important is vigilance and patching, making sure that your systems have been patched and that all of the security vulnerabilities are up to date. Using multi-factor authentication is also going to go a long way. If you have just a username and password for an employee to access your system, that's very easy to compromise. Whereas if we have that third method, you know, whether it's a token or whether it sends a text message to your phone or whether it's an authenticator app, that's going to that's gonna also help with preventing ransomware because it just makes access a little bit more difficult. Encrypting your data is another one. And then finally, one that is a little bit of a nuanced strategy here, and it, it doesn't always work, but it's interesting. You can enable a foreign language. And there are a number of ransomware products or, or you know, pieces of malware that will get onto your system and it will look for certain languages to be enabled. And the reason for this is that some of the countries that are most commonly launching these attacks and developing the malware will look for their own language enabled on a system. And if it sees that language enabled, it will shut down. And so that one, again, that shouldn't be your only strategy, but it's definitely one that in in many cases can't hurt. Wow, that's really interesting. Why is that? Why will it shut down? Well, because if you're going to be, if you're a nation state and you're going to launch ransomware, you don't want to accidentally have that blowback. And so it's really a self-preservation strategy that's an attempt to control some of the collateral damage. So again, it shouldn't be your only strategy, but it it can be one that, that can help. That's actually really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Are there any types of organizations that are targeted in particular or perhaps more vulnerable than others? Or is it really an equal opportunity attack out there? Well, there are definitely organizations that are more vulnerable or more a target of attack. Anything that has to do with money, anything that has to do with critical infrastructure, those are always going to be under consistent and constant attack. But with that in mind, very often it's a product of opportunity. It's a scan of an open internet system, and we just start to pull that thread until we find that we're into a system. And, and you know, maybe it's a hospital, maybe it's a school, maybe it's a government organization. But generally, the bigger you are, you're, the more you're going to have thrown at you. The more money that you have, the more you're going to have thrown at you. And, and then you know, when we talk about nation state and acts of war, obviously, we're looking at our critical infrastructure. You know, we're looking at things like shipping. We're looking at things like military. We're looking at even colleges and universities that conduct research. Well, as we start to wrap up, can you share some of the resources that you alluded to earlier for organizations to learn more about how to prepare for and perhaps mitigate the risk of a ransomware response? Well, the first one is I actually teach a course called Principles of Ransomware. And we talk about all of this, things that we mentioned today in in a much greater level of detail. At the end of that course, you'll get some resources to help you put together a plan for communications and for responding to a ransomware incident. That's through the International Crisis Management Conference. And so that would be one resource. There's a really great book that you can get on Amazon. It's called The Ransomware Protection Playbook. It's by Roger Grimes. And that one is a phenomenal resource, especially if you're just getting started with learning about ransomware and and understanding how you would contain an attack, how you would handle it what you can do from a preparation perspective. And then the U.S. government, they have a number of free online resources through the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. So you can find that one at CISA, C-I-S-A.gov. 
And they actually have a whole ransomware training section in there with free resources where you can go and you can learn some more about it. Fantastic. Well, Heather, thanks again for your time today. This has been great. You've both scared me and made me feel better (laughs) all at the same time. So thank you for that. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure talking with you, Peter. To learn more about Heather and her work with Strategic Cyber Partners, click the links in the show notes. We'll be back next week with more expert advice to help you protect your business and people. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. Have a safe week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.